0: Hello, and welcome to Growing Trends. This is your host, Chris Coop, with Anne Miller. Today, we are interviewing Bill Sosinski, the founder of Energine University. We are also interviewing today, Dr. Rich Sapienza. Rich is an expert on solar power and all sorts of really cool technologies, as you're about to find out. Bill, hi, it's Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm great. You guys have had some weather up there too, haven't
1: you? Yeah, it it snows a bit. It's actually kind of pretty, but yeah. (laughs) Yes, we're getting weather.
0: We start the interview by talking about probiotics.
1: Well, no, that's that's really one of the main uses for growing stuff indoors. You know, you you, you prioritize what you're going to grow, but the most valuable stuff are things like probiotics, uh, you know, things for pharmaceuticals, you know, those yep. type of things that you can grow. Those that have the highest payback. I mean, for instance, you know, I mean, not that you're going to grow mushrooms, but there are certain types of mushrooms that sell for $150 a pound. The key is figuring out how to make them grow indoors when you want them as opposed to just finding them in nature. You know, pine mushrooms are $150, yep. $165 a pound. A group of guys in uh, in Yugoslavia, the old Yugoslavia, I think in Montenegro, that have figured out how to get sturgeon to give birth, which no one wow. else has been able to figure out. So now they're able to raise them commercially. I mean, sturgeon, you have, it's a big commitment, because you have to have them for like 20 years or so before they start producing eggs. But, you know, there they yeah. are. You know what I mean?
0: Well, na- nature is, is really uh, interesting like that. I, I remember... There's a, a bamboo, um, I think it's called um, Murali, that completely wiped out in England. It flowered and every single one died, right across the whole right. of the UK. And apparently it does that on a fairly regular basis. It, it, there must be a method to it for its regeneration or whatever. I mean, you know, it's a bit like lemmings rushing off the cliff. They've got to have a reason for it. Right. But,
1: well, beyond well, what I know.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. I'm not planning on rushing over a cliff. It's, um, it seems a little bit terminal to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but, you
0: know, <laughs> and I have had no problem with content. It's always been the problem of taking the recordings and making them into workable. Excellent.
1: That's excellent. Yeah,
0: it, i I think it is. And I, I posted a rather interesting um sort of tease the other day which was that children could identify a thousand business logos but had a hard time identifying ten plants and got a huge response. All right. over the place. And it's sadly it seems to be true. Although I must admit when I was probably twelve, no, I probably knew quite a lot of trees actually thinking about it. I, I can see why they don't know. Whether we can, whether that's going to help or not, I don't know, really.
1: Well, it won't be a problem soon, because there probably won't be more the dead varieties left. <laughs> we'll yeah. make it easy for them, you know? They don't Absolutely. have to learn all their animals and all their uh, all their plants. We'll kill them off before they have a chance to uh, learn them, so that's not a big deal.
0: Well, hopefully not that quickly.
1: No, hopefully not that quickly.
0: Well, I can, I can see, you know... They're saying that the next generation is going to be, uh, what, 25% devoid of what we have right now or something? It was quite a lot. Uh,
1: We have the potential, I think, to wipe out, you know, we can wipe out everything, obviously, but I think more likely we'll wipe out around two-thirds of the biodiversity. And if we do that, we're absolute fools. That's what's at at risk right now. And the biggest risk is, you know, mammalian. I mean, because that we can just totally and utterly destroy so it'll be just us and the rats and a few other rodents. You know what I mean? But all the higher mammals will be dead uh, by, you know, three-quarter mark of the century if we're not careful.
0: So, so then we're going to have to worry about scorpions and ants.
1: Uh, insects, we're not going to wipe out. Insects are going to be the food of the future. You know, yeah, I know. I told everybody right now, I told everybody, I told everybody back in 1998, I said, get ready, learn Chinese if you want to be successful in the 21st century. And I would tell everybody right now, you know, if you want to uh, you know, stay out of the curb in terms of protein, start
0: eating insects. I was reading about crickets, and I thought that that was a little bit over the top for me, actually. Escargot? No, yes.
1: Crickets Cr- are good. Oh, I'm sure. Locusts are delicious. <laughs> you know, oh, locusts wow. are flying shrimp. I mean, they're really good. Uh, I've, I've only had a few uh, a few insects, you know, that I've eaten, but. Uh, You know, I got to say that none that I I haven't had anything that's been disagreeable. But then again, I've been smart enough to avoid things that I sort of knew would be disagreeable before I had them, you know. Certain things you just don't want to eat.
0: Some of them have got to be because of what they actually eat themselves, hasn't it? You
1: know. I don't know. You know, I mean, things like worms are, you know, I mean, I I think the the main thing to get around with insects is probably the uh, A, what they eat, right? And be uh, you know just the consistency. Rich
2: Sapienza.
1: Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, how are you?
2: Good, thank you. I'll be out there in the ether. If I speak, <laughs> I always you know you, you talk about out into the ether. It's that's that's how the scientists explain uh, God and heaven in a way that's satisfactory to uh, the people who are strong believers. Is the fact that uh, your brain gives off. Uh, you know, everybody knows you can go into an MRI machine, and your brain puts off different waves depending depending on how you're thinking and what you're pleasured by and what you like to see and all of these other kinds of things. Well, that means your brain's giving off waves into space. So someday somebody might be develop some kind of machine that could collect. All your thoughts from beginning of time to the end of time, so that they could reconstitute you. So, isn't that a way? Of well, Rich, that? I
1: have a conversation to have with you at one point. I, have, <laughs> I met this guy a, a while ago, and I don't want to, you know, get into this too deeply. But I met this guy, Roland Gregg, brilliant kid. I mean, he's in his th- early thirties, but just brilliant. At The age of twenty-four, he was put in charge of uh, of online advertising and promotion for General Motors, and did such a great job that they. You know, he could have moved up, but he hated that job. Anyway, he's been doing he's been doing studying for the last five years on on the on the ESP on how the heart produces energy and produces information, and the studies that they've done are phenomenally interesting. And it's basically how what you're feeling and how you're thinking, whether positively or negatively, affects water structure. And they you know they took the same they took all this. Uh, 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 what is it, purified water, and put it under an electron microscope. And they had four different people look at four different samples and four different microscopes of the same water. And as each person went to each individual sample, the structure of the water changed as as it reacted to that person's personal energy field. So that all, you know, you had four separate. But that wasn't the beautiful part. The beautiful part and the interesting part was that they did an experiment where they took the same, you know, uh, I I forget what is that, uh, you know, when you... You you purify the water when it's perfectly clean, when it evaporates or whatever. Anyway, they took the water, and they cooked white rice with it, and they sealed the white rice up in three identical, uh, clean, you know, uh, completely, you know, cleaned out and de-germed jars, and then put them in three separate rooms. And in one room, they went in, and the person would come in, and they were told, no matter what you do, be as positive as possible. So they came in, and they would say, you know, I'm so proud of you. Everything you do is wonderful. You know, I I couldn't love you enough. You know, things like that, just really positive. In the second room, they went in and they confronted the rice saying, I'm disappointed with you. Everything you do sucks. I I can't believe, you know, I even have to be around you. Just negative. And in the third one, they just ignored. They didn't go into it. Anyway, after 30 days, the rice that had been, you know, spoken to and treated with love and consideration and support was practically germ-free. hadn't grown any fungus. was almost white. The rice that they had been yelling at had turned completely black. Fungus had taken it over. It had just you know, just totally deteriorated. And, right. you know, what they're finding is, you know, that we do produce so much energy and we commute so much information that at this point in our evolution we're not able to, to interpret and, and really take out. But, you know, I think this is the basis of understanding how ESP works. In just the yes. terms of the energy that people put out, and these yeah. guys, and these most of these guys who are doing this work are, are yoga specialists and yogis mm-hmm. believe that it's yeah. a matter of the information that the heart puts out rather than the brain. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. What, what about auras? That... The the uh, I met a guy in the Czech
0: Republic who could read your aura, I and mean, he was almost as accurate as uh, an MRI. Well, that's, exact, what that's was exactly really... what we're talking about. Well, you're, yeah. you're
1: talking about the the energy that the human body puts out is, is, a, is, is the same type of energy that's created by the sun or the universe. The, it's toroidal. Uh, am I right with that, Rich? Uh, you've got toroidal energy. Yeah. It basically comes out. It looks like a donut, the way the energy flows out. And it's the same way that a human being produces energy. So, yeah, but you, you know, it's generate... the same basic structure.
2: Well, you but know, what the, it, point is, the point you're is? Right, our nerves. Right. But the point is our nerves and the chemistry in our body all works by you know elect- electrochemical type means. We send messages by by electrochemistry and all chemistry is going on, and those reactions can generate uh, you know if there's any kind of electrical signal like in your brain, it gives off it gives off a feel. That's the old you know uh, thing you learned in elementary physics about you know you have a current going one direction, you get a magnetic field in another, and that's what I'm saying about the NMR. And so we generate right. we generate a field. We have to generate a field, put it that way. And so oh. if, if somebody says they can read it, it probably means that they're doing something where they, they somehow have some feelings based on in the past what they felt opposite. I, my point was that that you know, it's a way for a scientist to talk to somebody who's into, uh, you know, all of the, you know, the, you know, that that of of God and and you know reincarnation and all of this other kind of stuff, and say, yeah, potentially science could reincarnate you because if it could send out a get your signal at the beginning of the universe, bingo, guess what? We'd have you back again. <laughs> hey, Hi, guys.
3: Hello. Hi. We got Bill and Richard. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we have. Awesome. Well, happy Sounds Friday, good. So if you guys want to start, you know. Okay. And how about you starting?
3: Okay, so are we interviewing Richard?
1: We're interviewing oh, okay. Richard. I interviewed both of us, but basically, uh, why don't you get most of your questions to Rich? His time is very, very valuable, and we want as much of his insight as possible. So if I have something to put in, I'll say something, but I think it'll be like last time. I want to listen as well.
3: Okay, Richard, before we start real quick, tell me your last name again.
2: Okay, it's Richard Sapienza, that's S-A-P-I-E-N-Z-A.
3: Sapienza, am I saying it right?
2: Oh yeah, you're saying it right, and uh, I suffered through it in school because it also means knowledge. And my first name is Richard, which in the English is considered to be king. So imagine what the nuns did to me at that point. So oh, wow.
3: <laughs> well, it's a pleasure yeah. to have you on our program today, Richard, and to be joined with Bill Sosinski, and of course my co-host Chris Coop. And it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but we have some really exciting things to talk about. So. Um, Actually, Richard, I, I had a question for you right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk to you about solar energy. I'm just curious, what in the world prompted you to get interested in solar energy in the first place? What, what What's your passion? Where did it come oh, from? Well,
2: no, my, my passion in terms of getting interested in solar is, goes a long time ago. I, I consider myself one of the kind of a, a very, very lucky in my career when I um, first got my degree in chemistry um, and I had a choice of what to do for a job. I actually took the crazy job. I went to a Brookhaven National Laboratory and was hired under something called Research Address to national needs and I thought i was and I was brought in to work on catalysis, which had to do with fuels and developing new alternate fuels but as part of that task and and what I was doing there. Um, I got involved with helping um, develop the Department of Energy when it first got started. And one of the things in the Department of Energy was an entity called the Energy Conservation and Utilization Technologies. And what this was was all the things that weren't what most people at that time considered as part of the uh, mainstream of energy so uh, I, it meant that solar was in there and heat storage was in there and batteries were in there and, and fuel cells were in there and lubrication was in there, something that people don't think about as being an extra important uh, energy topic. New materials were in there. And so I, I got a chance, and, and like I said, I'm lucky as all get out in that sense, because at first I wasn't happy about it, <laughs> to see um, all of, of these Alternate things, and I also had a chance to interact with the people who were the experts in that area because my job on on in in this function was not to you know do these things but to sit there and basically be a smart note taker i was the interlocker you know the person who put together the information from uh different uh brains that were in the room and i heard about the individual problems and i heard about Uh, you know, the philosophies of each of the things. And and from that, it got me very interested in a lot of things. And what is so interesting is I've always been interested in small-sized ways of answering questions. I'm Mm -hmm. a strong believer that small is beautiful. And I've felt that now Uh, in all of my career. And I felt even then that small cost-effective solar thermal systems would be a good idea and so when over my lifetime I thought about it and really didn't get a chance to work on it and but it eventually struck me that that this was something I wanted to work on so I spent uh, basically a couple of years working with somebody to come up with the kind of solar system that we have developed which is a um, small system It's only like uh, about a, a meter across with about a uh, two-third of a meter uh, focal point, and we use individual flat mirrors that are small. But we, what we did was these mirrors are made out of plastic. They're lightweight. They're low-cost. They don't break. And so what happened was we ended up putting together an extremely efficient, low-cost um, way of using the sun. And I, to me, you know, it, it, it for me it was a giant success in my own mind because those were kind of the appropriate technology that I wanted for the world. I mean, and I saw the kind of system that I built as being useful everywhere, um, not just for the major countries and, you know, the big developed countries, but for everywhere, and it's got that potential to it. So, I feel that way about most of the technologies i'm I'm a catalytic chemist by most of my trade, and even in my catalytic chemistry, I'm developing much smaller scale systems. Uh, one of the things I'm doing is addressing the flaring problem that uh, that we have in the, in the country uh, This is the gas that gets associated when fracking or going after oil. Um, that you, it's called associated gas that comes up at the same time the oil does. Uh, there's no gas pipeline to put that gas into. Um, there's only an oil pipeline. So what ends up happening is the gas gets flared. And this flaring is so bright that from satellites, the areas that they flare are brighter than the cities that are close by to them and larger than the cities that are close by to them. I mean, the really? flaring... In- Oh, the wow. flaring pictures of, of a place like North Dakota uh, look as though it's Chicago. And wow. that's, how, that's how bright it is from the flaring of the gas. So those flares are not very large, the amount of gas coming out. So um, one of the things we're hoping to roll out this coming year is a way of taking that flare gas and converting it into a useful product and therefore not generating CO2. We're also looking at ways of when you have a flare already and it's producing CO2 of capturing that more concentrated at that point CO2 and converting it into products that don't have to uh, convert back into CO2 again. So, you know, so like I said, I've been interested in the smaller scale. I, I think small works very, very well. Uh, photovoltaics on a large scale have been shown not, to be economic, but small-scale photovoltaics for your bus stop, for lighting up a a small roadway along the road are very, very successful, and they're very, very energy-saving and energy efficient for uh, cities and whatnot, but when you try to put up uh, a solar plant to generate enough power for a city, I think that's a foolish move. I think it's a large waste of money mm-hmm. and resources. So, I, you know, again, it goes back to way back when. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, to give you an idea how old I am, talking about like 1976 is when I when I first got started on all of this kind of stuff. And even back then, I felt that this an independent, tiny family size or at the most, small village level uh, uh, arrangement would be way, way bigger than big and giant thermal powerhouses or atomic powerhouses that mm-hmm. that really um, we, we theoretically can't afford, truthfully, to keep using. And I think the third world countries of the world need uh, simpler, smaller means of generation of electricity, heat, um, and cooling. And I think these can all be done without having to turn them into the same exact civilization that we are, uh, which is, in a lot of ways, not very efficient.
3: I was going to say, thank God. (laughs) We don't turn them into us. Uh, yeah, hopefully they will be more efficient. Well, well
2: imagine if you had a tiny thermal um, system that could do the air conditioning that could be warm enough to maybe generate a small amount of electricity. Just think, no transmission lines, Mm -hmm. no distribution needed, no house wiring possibly needed in some ways. Mm -hmm. You have you know, I have no meters, so there's no cost to the individual except the original thing. So, right. I mean, you know, and if you use biomass as a component with it to do things like maybe generate enough electricity for the town in a centralized way, you, 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 you have a way that's economic, and so it's a way for people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and to develop economic viability.
3: Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you could do what's more or less, you know, solar solar power for dummies, you know, where it's easy, you have yeah. a, an easy kit, an easy program that anybody can take home and immediately hook up to their living quarters and and reduce their, you know, their energy use immediately. Oh or no, something I, like that.
2: And, if, and that's exactly my my thoughts for my solar unit was to eventually get it. So that you know, a place like, uh, well, let's use the big monster Walmart, uh, would have it on sale, and you'd walk yeah. in and and you'd pay, uh, you know, you know, five hundred bucks. You'd bring it home, and there would be uh, instructions to how to he- hook it up to your hot water system, and mm-hmm. bingo, you'd be able to cut back on the amount of energy you use mm-hmm. uh, to make your hot water. And, 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 and that brings up my other point with why small is beautiful. is uh-huh. We have a very, I don't know what it is, but crazy tendency to think that whatever we do, it has to be a C change. It has to be a 100% change. We have to uh-huh. go from A all the way to B. No, uh-huh. there's some mix that I think is much, much more appropriate. So if I knock off 25% of your heating bill. Isn't that good? Isn't that 25% less diesel fuel or gas that you're using or whatever you're using to heat your home? 25% maybe less electricity if it's electrically heated that we get from the sun? That that alone is a nice thing and if everybody did that that would have to meet way more impact than these monster systems that we're trying to put together and I think that is a feasible way of doing it. And so the capital investment will be small because it will be done by individuals. So rather right. than paying $500 in tax each to get something done, well, you, you invested $500 because in the long run you're going to save and you'll feel that savings of $500. When, when you pay that $500 in tax, you never seem like you, you get it back. Even if you do, you never feel like you get it back.
3: Right. Hmm. <laughs> So the, the utilities
2: solar... wouldn't like
0: that, though, would they?
1: Excuse
3: me?
0: The utilities wouldn't be very happy.
2: There wouldn't be a way of taxing us. No, I, I, I don't. You see, but that's what I think. I think it's a joint system. I think what you do is the utilities become the storage and become the backup
1: ah. because
2: the utilities are still supplying you with the other 75%. And, and the population is not going to stand still. You know, everybody says, you know, we're reaching some Malthusian, you know, limits and all of this stuff. Those things are going to happen in India and it's going to happen in China. Uh, but actually, they'll probably end up using more energy as they go along, not less. As, you, as we increase our uh, economic abilities, we also tend to use more of our money for energy sources. So, the utilities are not going to lose anything. In fact, they should be happy with this kind of an arrangement, so that they know that they don 't have to build base power that is so large to meet a hundred percent of the need that there 's always going to be some of the need taken up so yep. you know I, I think if we if it, this these are decisions that have to be made because um You know, this is the world community, and these could be the cornerstones of sustainability. And, you know, and they can use the existing physical, social, human resources as well as the existing physical resources that we have in terms of gas, solar, and whatnot. I think everything is there now. I think it's all going to get improved. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we've reached an end point. But I, I, I think... Everything is there now for us to start this operational efficiency, to start this using our resources effectively, to start dealing with the change that's coming. It's it's going to be here. We know climate change is happening. We know certain other things are going on that are just going to happen. And so why don't we plan for those things? And by planning, I don't mean to go out and have a you know, a screening and, and we gotta make major changes. I think we have to sit down and make some decisions which are based upon a compromise managed and controlled by the common masses. And so, you know, I, I may sound like some some psychological nut here but i I, we we have to work things these things out we just
1: have to
3: yeah